Do you want to do the intro? What is the intro? Uh, well, this is... <clears throat> okay, this is... Uh, this will be... Oh, shit, Corvo. Let me concentrate, Corvo. Sorry, people don't let me concentrate in this house. He's so cute, though, Rich. He's so cute and soft. This is going to be the Dark Souls synopsis. Because usually he came by, so I pet him. Usually he's like, don't touch me, human. But now he's like, hey, mom. Aww. <laughs> okay. So this is episode two right. of the snack topment. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, this will be episode two. This is the problem with doing them out of order. But I, I have it written down. I have an intuitive understanding of numbers. This is episode two, production order five. <laughs> Yes. And you have to say what the episode is about. This episode is a recap slash synopsis of Dark Souls. After we did one about Bloodborne. Can you can you start that again? Oh, I forgot what you said. It was really good. The Dark Souls is about linking the fire. Yeah, like the Dark Souls trilogy is about linking the the fire. Yeah. It sure is. Okay, okay. So, in, entire plot of Dark Souls, take three. <laughs> um, so Dark Souls begins with this recounting of a creation myth. This is presented to us as a creation myth. It is not presented to us as literal history. So, some parts of it they just sort of gloss over exact details about what happens. But you know, that's we got to deal with it. So. The way that Dark Souls begins is it tells us that at the beginning of everything, which they call the Age of Ancients, the world was grey, and it was formless, and there was fog and mist everywhere. And it was this uh, sandy place filled with these stone trees. And the idea is that in this primal world, there are no binaries underscoring anything. Everything is... Somewhere, everything is grey, everything is formless, everything is... Nothing sort of begins or ends, there is no... There are no boundaries. It's Everything is just sort of grey. And then what happens is, somehow, fire is introduced. And what fire does is it alters the world irrevocably. Because fire means that it's producing heat. So if you're close to fire, you're hot. If you're away from the fire, you're cold. It's producing light so that, you know, things that are close to the fire are brighter than things that are further away from the fire. And if there's something in between the fire and something else, then it will cast a shadow. And also, fire is something that eventually fades away. It doesn't last forever. So, suddenly, all these concepts have been introduced into the world. Um, heat and cold, they, the way they describe it in the game is they say heat and cold, life and death, and light and dark. So we have created a world now that has, they say disparity. This is a world that now has disparity that didn't before. That alters the world. So then these four, question mark, we'll say three plus X beings who aren't given a real origin, they just sort of show up, discover that within the flame, this flame that is formed, they, they can find the power to overthrow the world as it was and within the flame are because it's all about opposites and binaries there are two sets of two souls within they call them souls it's 
not an ideal world, uh, word, but whatever. They find two sets of two souls in this flame. So there is a soul that is taken by a character called Nito, who gains the power of death. There is a character called the Witch of Isolith, who it's not explicitly stated, but she appears to gain the power of life. There is the main sort of head of the Pantheon God sort of Zeus figure called Gwyn, who gains the power of light. And then the power of dark is, is where it gets slightly confusing, is inherited by what the game's introduction calls the furtive pygmy. But they didn't really stick with that. And it seems more like what it's saying is that the power of dark is just inherited by humans. It's more like the... um. The power of dark is inherited by the, it's like the forgotten small people, as in like the, not the gods, like this, this sort of lesser race who become humans. <laughs> so, Gwyn and his uh, compatriots with their power from the flame, they defeat the dragons who had been running the world since before that. The dragons are everlasting. They're things that don't die. They don't appear to be born in this game, but later on. They imply that they are. So they used to run the world. Gwyn is able to... Dis- Gwyn is able to uh, team up with his other... The, the, the four... Not the four. The three named god figures then destroy all the dragons. And they take over. And that creates what is called the Age of Fire. So the age of, of all the greyness and the dragons is over. And the world that we're in now is the Age of Fire. And it's sustained by this flame. Then what happens is uh, Gwyn and his Gwyn builds this huge sort of metropolis. Not metropolis. Gwyn builds a is is over basically oversees the humans. He becomes he's this like uh, god king figure who oversees everything. There's a golden age where they build this huge holy city called Anor Londo and a mountain. It's sort of like Mount Olympus, and then. Gwyn rules and the gods rule for a very long time. Then what happens is because their power is derived from flame and flame doesn't last forever, the flame starts to go out. And as the flame starts to go out, Gwyn realizes that like the dragons and the ancient age that he overthrew, his age is going to be overthrown soon. So he kind of uh, they all start to like panic and then the uh, as the as the fire is fading away okay I'll, I'll hang on gwyn starts to panic because he sees that his age is coming to an end and the flame that is sustaining this world that is about binaries has started to die and rather than accept that this age is going to end, he becomes what is called the Lord of Cinder. Which, um, if Loki were here, would say it's more like the Firewood Lord, as in he be- it's, um, he, be- he becomes what is called the Lord of Cinder, which is like, he's not a man who has the power over Cinder, he's a man who is Cinder. He throws himself into the flame and uses his own body as kindling to keep the flame going. So the plot of Dark Souls 1, uh, after a certain point, is you need to become the new Lord of Cinder to keep the flame going. 
And then Dark Souls 2 and 3 basically carry that onward where it's all about attempting to what they call this linking the fire. So they come, they become about linking the fire like you have to go through the same thing again and once again link the fire. And the idea is that after if you fail to link the fire, something called the Age of Dark will happen. And that is what Gwyn is trying to prevent from happening. And because going back to this whole Souls Within the Flame thing. The Age of Dark will be heralded by humans, because humans are the ones who have that dark soul in them that is the opposite of Gwyn's soul. So that's why the game is called Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, the plot of the Dark Souls trilogy roughly is that these games are about sustaining this Age of Fire to stop the Age of Dark coming. But all three of them have, well, I mean, two kind of doesn't. An option to maybe you do actually want to herald in the Age of Dark. So at the end of Dark Souls 1, the end of Dark Souls 3, you can just like say fuck it. And let the age and you you can become you know, the the you can become anti-Gwyn, you can become the Lord of Dark, you can let the darkness take over and the flame fade away. Hmm. Dark Souls 2 is a bit more vague about it. But yeah. So yeah, the three games are about linking the fire, and that's what linking the fire means. Was there anything else? I wanted to ask you, you know how we did um, we did a podcast about some of the Dark Souls definitions that deal? Yeah. I wanted to ask you some of them again in like re-ask you because we did have a whole bunch of conversations with Loki, so we do have more okay. information. So yeah. um can you talk about what the undead curse actually is? All right. So, undead. This is introduced in the intro of Dark Souls 1. It says that as the fire begins to fade away, what happens is people start finding that on their flesh is this burning ring. So they call it the dark sign. And it's it's described as being like a brand that is put on you. And it's not clear where it comes from. It doesn't seem to pick specific kinds of people. It just sort of spreads. And what happens is if you have the dark sign, when you die, instead of just dying, you come back to life again. But you're not strictly speaking immortal because every time you die, you spring back again. But part of you is sort of like your part of your humanity is gone as a result of that. You become more and more uh, sort of animalistic. Like you start losing, you start losing, um, losing your personality. You start reverting back to a kind of animal state called a hollow. So what happens is that at the beginning of Dark Souls 1, there haven't been that many undead. So what they do is they shepherd them, where they describe it as like they just take the undead and they lock them away in this asylum to just basically like get rid of them. It's sort of like a leper colony. Like we'll just drop you here and you can stay here Mm -hmm. Um, as a means of containing them. And then that gets progressively worse until like in Dark Souls 3, basically everyone is is undead. Uh, If Loki were here again, he would probably say that Undead's not a great word to use because the way that undead works in English is it makes us think of like a zombie or a vampire or something. But the way it's written is more like undying. 
As in, like, you're just someone who's sort of fucked up and can't die. But you're not, strictly speaking, like a zombie or a vampire or something. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the- Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So what happens is after every time you die, a piece of you sort of dies with you. Which leads to, like, if someone dies over and over again and they're not able to hang on to their humanity, they do become a sort of more classical, like, zombie thing that's called a hollow. So throughout Dark Souls, you run into knights and, you know, these people who have hollowed. And they've forgotten who they are and they are just, like, sort of running around killing shit because they've forgotten what else what yeah basically they they've lost their humanity yeah and what caused the curse of the undead this is a good question because dark souls one does not state outright why the undead curse exists the implication is that it's something to do with gwyn because what happens is this burning brand, the dark sign that's around you, is a seal of fire that is put around, kind of around the dark soul that is within all the humans. Because Gwyn is terrified of humans, because humans have within him, within all humans is basically the opposite of Gwyn. So it's possible that a human will one day overthrow him. So what happens is that the dark soul is, it's a fire thing. It's, it's connected very explicitly to the fire. Dark Souls 3 makes that, like... It, Dark Souls 3 just outright says it, like, this: the flame is... The, the dark sign is sustained by this flame. So, the flame around the... The, the flame is somehow sustaining this dark sign brand. That is... That is what is stopping you from dying. And we don't quite understand the exact mechanics of it, but maybe there aren't any. But um, the idea seems to be that when you die, this flame thing starts burning up your your humanness. Like, uh, I'm not sure how to, if, if there's like a rational explanation, if, if there's like a sort of, Here's how it works deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the dark sign is burning away like... Dark Souls 3 kind of... I'll just talk about Dark Souls 3's version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Souls 3 makes it very explicit that like... The dark sign is around you so that... Because you have this dark soul in you. When you die, instead of the dark soul like... Breaking out of you, it's burned up by this dark sign. So it's almost like um, like they're burning the dark soul out of people with this dark sign to stop the dark lord opposite of Gwyn being born. That's how it's sort of explained. Okay. Yeah. So the undead are interesting because they are, again, they're, they're sort of like a symbol that the fire is fading because in the same way that the beginning of Dark Souls, uh, at the beginning of the world, everything was grey and unformed and nothing really had hard boundaries. Everything, like the undead are an example of that sort of resurfacing because the undead are not alive or dead. They're back. It's it's like something that, you know, it's like something from this older age. And it's it's like a sign that the world of binaries is sort of being undone because undead aren't either. They aren't alive and they aren't dead. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's almost like a, um, like a purgatory state for the undead. So it's not like, it's not like you're, you become a zombie. It's almost like you get trapped in a cycle of, of rebirth. And every time you're reborn, you're reborn as something slightly less human. That's how I would explain it. And it's worth pointing out that, like, the undead can still die. Like, they're not functionally immortal. So there are characters who are undead, and then if you can just kill them. And, like, after a while, they will eventually just die. Yeah, so, like, um, for example, at the beginning of Dark Souls, we are rescued by a guy called Oscar, who is undead. He rescues us, and then he dies. And then... When he dies, he can still talk to us, and he's saying, like, you know, I can feel the the sort of change coming over me as I'm dying, and can you just get out of here before, because I don't want to kill you. And then later on, you run into Oscar, and he has become a hollow. But if you kill Oscar, then he is just dead. So Oscar could only die a certain number of times. Yeah. I, I, I hate that I just said a certain number, because it makes it sound like you have lives. It's more like... <laughs> You just, you die and die and die until you yeah. completely sort of, like, dissolve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a character in Dark Souls called Seath who is described, confusingly, they say, like, are Seath's a true undead? Right. Yeah, so, like, he is actually, like, literally immortal and cannot die. Yeah. But other undead are not like that. And even though we have a whole episode on it, could you just briefly talk about the abyss? Well, the abyss is kind of what when, when we're talking about like the um, Gwyn's opposite being born. The abyss is sort of the dawn of the Age of Dark. Is how I would describe it. So mm-hmm. what happens is because all humans have this dark soul to them, if enough of this dark soul is gathered in one place, and specifically if it's gathered in in individual people, they start to become the opposite of... They become sort of Gwyn's opposite. And when that happens, it starts ushering in... (coughs) Sorry. When, When that happens, it starts ushering in the age of dark that will follow Gwyn's age of fire. So that is referred to in game as the abyss. But, like, there's not one abyss... There's not, like, it's not one specific place. What happens is that once you have enough of this dark soul in one individual in one place, the world around them starts to warp. In the same way that the fire at the dawn of the Age of Fire warped the world around it into a world that had binaries. The Age of Dark is begun when there is too much of the dark soul in one place. Mm -hmm. Yep. And... I think Dark Soul 3 introduces the Dark Sigil. Well, yeah. What is that? Uh, well, alright, this is, this is the confusing thing. In Dark Souls 3, we are not, strictly speaking, the same kind of character that we are in Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. So in Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, it's very obvious you are someone who is undead. In Dark Souls 3, because Dark Souls 3 takes place many, 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 many generations in the future, possibly like thousands and thousands of years in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
rather than playing a stock undead who dies until they go hollow, you are playing as a character who is just called the Unkindled. And the idea is that by the time of Dark Souls 3, so many people have inherited or linked to the fire so many times, it kind of doesn't work anymore. So the character you're playing as there is someone who failed to inherit the fire and was burned up. That's why you're called the... Un- you're, you're literally like... The way you're described is you're just a pile of ash that couldn't quite keep the fire going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're not a true undead. So what happens is in Dark Souls 3, death does not make you hollow like it does in one. In Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, when you die... You undergo a process called hollowing. In Dark Souls 1, it's a binary. You're either human or hollow. In Dark Souls 2, it's a granular thing where you start off human and then you become more hollow as you die. Mm -hmm. So Dark Souls 3 does not do that. In Dark Souls 3, the hollowing will only occur if you also take into you what's called the Dark Sigil. And confusingly, the Dark Sigil is a different thing to the Dark Sign. Hmm. Um, yeah. So the Dark Sigil is described as like, it is the, it's like a, uh, almost like a pustule on you that the Dark Soul is leaking out of. Yeah. So what happens is that in Dark Souls 3, you do not hollow when you are killed. But if you take these Dark Sigil things, which they are, um... Oh, do you want me to start this part again? Because it's fucking terrible. No, you were actually doing good, I think. But if oh, you want. God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so Dark Sigils. Right. Yeah. Dark Souls 3, you are not... In Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, you are very explicitly what is called a hollow. What is... What you're very explicitly in... <laughs> in Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, your character is quite simply defined as you're someone who got the dark sign on them you've become undead and then as a result of that when you die you are you you begin to hollow you begin to become one of these like mindless creatures now dark souls one is that is a binary thing so you're either human or you're hollow um Whereas in Dark Souls 2 makes it a bit more granular, like you're a human, but in Dark Souls 1, like you're just a human and then if you die, you become a hollow and that's the extent of it. In Dark Souls 3, instead of that happening, you... Oh, fuck. God. Okay. You want to start over? So- oh, God, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. You're do- Richard, have confidence in yourself. You're actually doing really good. You just okay. need to like, be confident. Right. Here's the confusing part. This is like take six. In Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, what happens is your character is a human who has the dark sign. So when they die, they undergo this hollowing process. This leads to you when your character has a human form and a hollow form. If you are human and you die, you become hollow and then you need an item or a blessing or something to make you go back into human form again. In Dark Souls 1, that is completely binary. So if you die, 
you immediately become hollow. In Dark Souls 2, it is a bit more granular. You can die and you become a little bit hollow and then you become gradually more hollow with every death. Right. In Dark Souls 3, they make that a bit more confusing. Um, they go for something different, which is that you are not someone who died and then became- you're not someone who became undead. You're the remains of someone who became undead, tried to link the fire and failed. So the way it's described is like you're just a pile of like ash, like you're someone who's basically cremated, who came back to life again as this like last ditch effort to keep the flame going. And your goal in that game is not actually to link the fire, it's to bring back the other people who linked the fire already so that they can link it again. And the way it's described is like you are unfit to be cinder. Like you're not you're not even worth burning at this point. And one of the odd facets of that is that you kind of you you can own if you die, you just come back again. There's not a hollowing mechanic. But what happens is there is a sort of odd plot line that feels like it should go more places than it actually does. Where there is a a land of hollows called Londor. There is someone from Londor who thinks he can draw out, sort of draw out your latent capacity to hollow. So hollowing is a choice where you agree to let this guy let you hollow. And, hmm, um... And in, in that case, like, it becomes a bit like Dark Souls 2 again, where hollowing is gradual. But there's no way to, um, there's not an item that cures it down to these things the game calls dark sigils. So you end up with these dark sigils on your body that make you hollow when you die. And this is the confu- this is where we get into, like, what is story and what is gameplay. Because the games absolutely need to have- your character needs the dark sign on them. Because it's a gameplay mechanic. Because you can willfully trigger the dark sign to go back to the last bonfire you were at. So it's almost like a fail safe if you get stuck. So the game needs there to be a dark sign on your character. But Dark Souls 3 introduces this thing called the Dark Sigil. Which is kind of like the dark sign, but it's it's almost weaker, I think. I think the idea is that because by the time of Dark Souls 3, the fire is fading away, the dark sigil is a weaker version of... Like, the dark sign itself is weakened, so you get a thing called the dark sigil. And what the dark sigil does is that is what allows you to hollow. And this... We won't go into it now, but this plays a, an important role in the story, the ability to hollow. But your character in Dark Souls 3 cannot hollow by default because they are not really an undead. They are what the game calls an unkindled, which is some, which is, yeah, basically a resurrected pile of ash. So the Dark Sigil allows you to hollow, but it's in Dark Souls 3 only, and it's distinct from the Dark Sign. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Good. We made it, we made it through without the Dark Souls 3 noise. (laughs) <laughs> the noise that I make when attempting to explain how any of Dark Souls 3 fits in with one or two. You're doing really good. <laughs> We're very proud of you, Richie. Thank you. Um, 
My boyfriend's been sending me Yoda memes because he's like, no, you guys don't get to restart again. Ugh. No retakes. And then it's like, do or do not, there is no try. Much to learn, you still have. I sense much fear in you. There is much fear in me. Yeah. And then there's one. Richard is Luke. Yeah. And and Sinclair is Yoda. And he sent me a picture where Luke is like upside down on one hand. Yeah. And then yeah. Yoda is standing on his foot. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, clearly I'm your mentor in this situation. I'm yep. teaching you a lot about dark schools. Yes. <laughs> You're me. Oh, I'm bullying you, my boyfriend is saying. That's why well, I'm no, Yoda. No, but the, the thing is, like, Yoda bullies Luke at the start, but then reveals he is actually filled with great wisdom, and that was a test. Whereas you just bully me and he doesn't have a point to it. <laughs> well, maybe the reveal will come. Like, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's revealed that you're actually Miyazaki the whole time, and you're testing me. <laughs> Um, and in Dark Souls 3, the Firekeeper can heal your Dark Sigil, right? Yes. There are ways in Dark Souls 3, in Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, the way that you, you banished Hollowing was you just had an item that undid Hollowing. In Dark Souls 3, instead of that happening, the there are two ways of doing it. There is a Firekeeper and there is a Statue of Velka. And... They can undo your hollowing. There are, there's also an item. Oh, this is the thing. What they do is they heal the dark sigil, but they don't. You can also undo hollowing using an item called the purging stone. If you do that, your hollowing is cured, but you are not. Um, you can your still, sigil is still there, your sigil right? so that you can hollow after that. And they specifically say that like this stone thing is used by is used by hollows who want to blend into human society. Mm-hmm. But they haven't actually healed it, and there are characters who, like, need you to be hollow to a certain point for things to happen. Yeah. Um, they will. They are fine if you use a purging stone, but if you actually get the Dark Sigil healed, they will turn on you and say that you've betrayed them. Yeah. Yeah. And the the only way to heal it is, a, is with a Firekeeper, no? Um, yeah, the Firekeeper can cure the Dark Sigil entirely. Yeah. Yeah. But Velka just reduces or Vel- removes her Yeah, this is the yeah, Velka and the Purging Stone can remove hollowing, but only the dark only the firekeeper can remove the actual dark sigil from you. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I guess I wanted to ask you, I, I probably asked you this before many times, but what's a firekeeper? A firekeeper is just a priestess who looks after the the bonfires. Um the Age of Fire is obviously sustained by fire, and part of that is what the game just calls bonfires. The idea is there's all these fires around the world that are like these sacred fires that keep the Age of Fire going, and they're all connected to the first flame that was found at the beginning of time. So, um, yeah, that's really all it is. They're just... Yeah, that's really it. They're just... um. Well, the the first flame that is the source of the Age of Fire is linked to a bunch of other little fires throughout the world, and that's mm-hmm. what then they're, they're most of them. The important ones are tended to by what the game calls firekeepers, mm-hmm. who are just priestesses who look after the flame. 
And do you have any insight on how fire keepers are selected and where they come from? No. <laughs> well, um, we do have some, though. Okay, well, it changes in between. Well, in Dark Souls 1, all the fire keepers, like, they... They're all, like, sort of odd, strange people who weren't, like... There wasn't, like, Firekeeper Academy. <laughs> so, in Dark Souls 1, like, the Firekeepers are... There is a... There's the the most, quote-unquote, normal one is a woman called Anastasia. She looks after the main fire that you'll go to a lot in Dark Souls 1. Uh, she is described as... Um, she has had her tongue cut out and the backs of her legs cut, so she can't speak and she can't move. And they say that she's just a priestess and they did that they did that to her so she would never leave the fire and they remove they remove her um, ability to walk so that she'll never leave the fire. And they remove mm-hmm. her ability to speak so that she won't they say that so she won't say the name of the gods in vain. That's mm-hmm. how they explain it. Um basically so she can't blaspheme. Yeah. Yeah. Um then there is one of the daughters of the Witch of Isolith. She is a firekeeper. She has been partially fused with a spider. Mm-hmm. Then there is a woman called the Dark Moon Nightess, who is uh, just a knight who guards an Orlando, which is the city of the gods. She is a firekeeper. And then you also, there are three dead firekeepers. Um, three or four. There's. I think, yeah. So, um, aside from those ones, there's also, you find these things called Firekeeper Souls, which are, they are the souls of dead Firekeepers. And you find them presumably in places where there would have been a bonfire. So, you find one in the ruins of a city called New Londo. You find one in the ruins of a place called Blighttown. And you find one in another part of Anor Londo. And you also find one in a church. In um, that you just go through as part of the game. So presumably there were four other firekeepers at least in this world, and they they're all dead now. Mm. So today I watched Dagon's stream. Yeah. And somebody pointed out that there's always a fire next to a blacksmith, and then I was like, "Are blacksmiths firekeepers?" Do you think they are? I don't know. Do you think they are? Uh, I don't think so. The funny thing was, is that I said it, but people thought I was joking. Oh. <laughs> but that was a legit question I had, but then I just trolled with it. <laughs> Good. Okay. Oh, and okay, I had another question that I've been wanting to ask for a while now. Yeah. It's like my lock shield of Dark Souls. Right. It's kind of perplexing, but probably for no good reason. <laughs> What's the Lord Vessel? The Lord Vessel is literally it's a vessel. Um it's like a thing that you would what what the function of the Lord Vessel in Dark Souls is, is that you put the souls that were found in the first flame back inside the Lord Vessel. 
and then that kindles a fire that allows you to reach Gwent. So the Lord Vessel is, I think the idea is that that's what the flame was in. It's like this holy, it's like this holy, like, brazier thing that you can, yeah. I think that's the idea. But who built it? I don't know. I'm going to look it up because I'm going to see. Hang on, I've got the Lord Vessel on me right now. Because you know how the profaned flame is in a thing? The profaned flame is in a thing. Yeah. And is that a Lord Vessel? It looks like the Lord Vessel. So. No, do you want to get super confusing? Yeah. Right. The, the, um, Firelink Shrine in Dark Souls 3, that fire is also in the Lord Vessel. Like, if you click. But it's underneath, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it's just like a sacred thing you would burn stuff in. I don't. I think that's sort of it. Yeah. I would like to know who made it. Maybe Gwyn made it. How? Uh, whittling. <laughs> Did German help? Well, this is... Uh, you you want to know what might have happened? What? Because there's references to a nameless blacksmith god. So maybe it was him. Nameless blacksmith god? Yeah, I'm pretty sure on the Titanite slabs it says there's like a nameless... There's a blacksmith god that existed. So, that, you think that's Gwen? No, I think the blacksmith god probably made that... Um, thing oh who was that do you know who i think it was and then they removed it andre yeah oh that would make sense back when he was gwen's son yeah it may have been that oh okay okay so we're getting somewhere this is good so let's say the lord wessel was made by andre yeah and how does it work well, you just burn things in it. That's <laughs> basically all it is. It's like, if yeah, you've got a sacred fire, you put it in, you burn things in the Lord Vessel. And it's like, okay, my sacred fire. Okay, so you have the Lord Vessel, and then you put the souls in it, and then it opens a path to the kiln? Yeah, it, that's how it works in-game. It's basically like, kill some bosses. Um, okay, but wait, 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 wait. But, you know, in Dark Souls 3... Uh, before you get to the pointy head bosses, you have to burn three things. Oh, Are those in little mini lord vessels? I think that's tying back into the idea that, um, like, fire is holding back the abyss. Okay, but those things, are those mini lord vessels? No, I think they're just, um, beacons. Like, I, I think we're putting a bit too much stock in, like, the Lord Vessel is a super important thing. I don't really think it is. That's how I feel about it, though. <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Because <laughs> it is a super important thing. It's like a thing, and you put souls in it, and it opens the pathway to the kiln. That seems pretty important. You can't finish the game without it. But what you do is, in front of the kiln is like a you put the Lord Vessel physically there and then you satiate it. You what? You, you put the Lord Vessel, like, it's it's actually quite comical when you, you do it in the cutscene because it implies you've been carrying 
like this gigantic bowl around with you. <laughs> Can you just sort of pull it out of nowhere? It looks ridiculous. Richie! What? Ariandel! Does he have a lord vessel? He kinda. Oh my god! But all Lord, all the Lord Vessel is, is just, you put it in front of- It doesn't have any power on its own, really. You just need to put the souls of the Lords in it. What was Arandel's Lord Vessel filled with? Blood. Because he's whipping himself- No, no, no! In- what? No, because it was like- Wasn't it like gold? What? Wasn't it something golden when he was hitting you with it? Wasn't gold pouring out Yeah, because it? it's burning. But it's it's filled with his blood, and then it catches fire. The blood catches fire. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. What if it was gold from the profaned capital that he melted into the Lord Vessel? Well, I think that it it pretty much shows you him, like, burning, like, whipping <laughs> himself and the blood pooling in there. So I think it's quite clearly just supposed to be blood. What if that's how you get a profane flame? You know, I wouldn't put that past it. Wait, so wait, wait. So now we found, like, we have the Lord Vessel from Dark Souls 1. We have three mini Lord Vessels before the pointy-haired fight. Pointy-hat fight. Yeah. Then we have... The best part is, like, the pointy-hat fight is three different people. And it took me a while to figure out which one you actually meant. (laughs) No, there's only one pointy-hat fight. No, there's the Crystal Sages. No, no, they're not pointy hats. They're big hats. They're big and pointy. No, no, no. You go, okay. You go for the size first. That's how it goes in hats. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a hierarchy. So they're big hat fight. What's the other pointy hat fight? Um, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, Hodrick? Who? That stupid, like, uh, mound makers guy. Oh, you mean like series grand? Yeah, yeah. The character that, like, despite us having talked about Dark Souls three for ages, we can't remember the name of. I never actually did that thing. Good, so good. Let me Google what <laughs> I need to see what his hat looks like. It's pointy. Well, you just wait. Uh. Okay, you see, in in this case, um, we would call it a golden hat. Good. Because that's the part of the hierarchy. Yeah. And so that's why the only possible thing I'm talking about when I say pointy hats is the other guys. We're learning a lot logical, in, this, in this synopsis of Dark Souls. <laughs> yes. Did you know that hats look really good on me? And I think it's because I have a flat head. (laughs) (laughs) And I only found it out a few years ago because I I participated in a study where where, um, they were... Basically, there was a study where they were looking uh, for people to go in an MRI scan. Right. And just to scan your brain. And it's hard to find people for studies like that because... 
you know, it, it can be a scary thing, but I'm not like claustrophobic. I'm yeah. not scared. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll participate in your study, like, you know, help science. And then after I did it, it was a few, it was like a few sessions over a few days. I was like, you know, this is really cool. Could you send me just like, like a picture of my brain or something? Like, yeah. I'd really like to see it. And the person was like, yeah, for sure. And they did. And, they and it was just me, a little um, cat operating some levers. <laughs> And they sent it to me. It was like a profile. Yeah. And I noticed that my head is really flat. Okay. And I was very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when my boyfriend and I are having like a little, like not even an argument, but I'm just like telling him something and he's like, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, no, you're wrong. But then turns Owned. out that I'm wrong. <laughs> so, and then I tell him, well, listen, do you want to be right? Or do you want to have a girlfriend? What he starts to do is he goes up to me and he starts stocking things on my head. <laughs> like the other day, it was spirit cups. <laughs> so, it was so I can't move or talk because otherwise things will fall. <laughs> what Patreon tier is this? <laughs> Patreon goal. <laughs> what, just putting things on your head? <laughs> How many things can put on my head before they fall down? Books are really easy because they're also very flat. That's how people used to learn posture. Yeah, I can do it yeah. with really bad posture too because it's so flat. I can do whatever and things just stick there. <laughs> Sometimes when we're like, my boyfriend and I are watching a movie and you know, like, whatever, we're sitting close, and I lean on him, and as a joke, he sometimes, like, puts his glass on my head. Oh, God. He's like, he's like, you're so practical. Aw. Yeah. Was that on your dating profile? <laughs> no, but funnily enough, my dating profile picture was, like, me smiling, and then yeah. it looked like I had a giant leaf growing out of my head. <laughs> My boyfriend, he saw it at the time, and he was like, oh, this is the girl I want to be with. Will this be a new internet meme, like, need a flat-headed GF? <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I actually talked about this on Don't Give Up Skeleton, episode 105. That's yeah. the one I was on. Yeah. But unfortunately... Jeremy, like, 15 minutes into the podcast, he realized that he wasn't actually recording it. So I see. That whole story was lost. It's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> story of how I met my boyfriend. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. That feel when no flat-headed GF. Okay, so what were we saying? I don't remember. I've lost track of what's going on. Um, oh yeah, Lord Vessels. No, we found many, many Lord Vessels now. Yep. There's one in Dark Souls 1. There's one in Dark Souls 3, Ashes of Ariandel. There's three in Dark Souls main game, the little ones that you burn stuff on. Yeah. And there's one in the Profane Capital. The Profane Flame is on it. There's one in Firelink Shrine. 
underneath Wirelink Shrine. Yeah. So that's like five Lord Vests. Yeah, so it's probably not that important. <gasps> no, another one. I just thought of another one. You know when you first get into Firelink Shrine and you teleport to the first area? Which, which and you're like in a round room. No, no, in the very beginning after you fight, you fight Gandir and then you oh, go yeah. to Firelink Shrine. Yeah. And then you get teleported into a round, circular, whatever. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, in Lothric, yeah. There's there's a little Lord Vessel yes, there yeah. with the sword, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Do you want me to explain like that and also the ones in Ulus, in um, Farron and everything? That they're like, they're, they're a cut mechanic. Well, is it the mechanic where you can create your own little flame? No, it's a different one. It's another cut mechanic. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, do tell. There was going to no, be... No, a- is that a mechanic about, like, light and, like, day and night and PvP or something? Or Battle um, Royale type deal? No, but it might have been connected to that in some way. Darn it. Okay, go ahead. Originally, there were going to be little shrine things. And you would have the mm-hmm. option of... It said, offer a flame to the shrine. I That okay. was the prompt. I don't know what that actually meant. I don't know if you had to give up anything or it was just, like, use this, but... If you used the flame on those shrines, they would light up and they would give you a little bit of backstory. So they're also little lord vessels. Kinda, yeah. Like um, the ones in that you're talking about in Farron. If you look at them, they have reliefs on them that look like they're depicting the Witch of Isolith, um, Seath, and the Four Kings. And that mm-hmm. kind of doesn't really make very much sense. But... No, re- yes, it does. Okay. What's going to happen is that somebody is going to find more cut content that elaborates on the Lord Vessels, and I will be right once again. Yeah, but what I was saying was that, like, it doesn't really make very much sense in-game. But Why not? Because it's like, why is there a... Like, why is there this, um, why is, is the abyss sealed with pictures of people who have nothing to do with it except the four kings? Because you need to put their souls to open the door, just like in Dark Souls 1. Yeah, that's what it's getting at. Yeah. But, like, presumably those would have been shrines that would have told you about those characters. Okay. Okay. You were saying something? No. But yeah, I, the Lord Vessel is just like, this is a holy sort of bowl thing that the fire is in. How does it work, though? I don't know. What's the mechanic behind it where you put stuff in there and a door opens, for example? No, no, it's the idea is that you're putting, it's like the combined strength of all the souls is opening the door and they're in the Lord Vessel. So, could you use any <clears throat> any old bowl? Well, no, it has to be because the whole point is that, um, like, it seals away. Like, you have to get the Lord Vessel. That's like the middle third of the game. Yeah, is you I know, going that's on what a fetch? Trying- I like how this started out with, like, a quite. <laughs> concise explanation of how this functioned and it's just been half an hour of how does the Lord Vessel work we don't know <laughs> no 
but it's but imagine like, if we did <laughs> but it's there's there's something about it right like oh my god I'll look oh, up. I, I just need to know how it works we already know that Andre built it and I just want to know <laughs> don't know that at all <laughs> I made an executive decision Andre built it what I've learned is that if you say like anything, even if you're clearly joking, or even if it's obviously a metaphor, people still take it literally. What are you talking about now? Several things. <laughs> I'm looking up Framp's dialogue now, because I think he mentions the Lord Vessel. Yeah, he does. Guinevere does too, I think. I'm multitasking because I'm talking to you, reading about Frampt and trying to find Strong Magic Weapon in the Duke's archives. Amazing. Lord. Okay. King Seeker Frampt, you must acquire the Lord Vessel. Then after you have after you've retrieved the Lord Vessel. Heavens, you have retrieved the Lord Vessel. <laughs> uh, then place the Lord Vessel on the altar. Then if you don't place the Lord Vessel on the altar and talk to him, he says, what is it? Place the Lord Vessel on the altar. <laughs> then way, way, way down, he eventually says, all of the souls are required to satiate the Lord Vessel. Then after you've used them, he says the Lord Vessel is satiated. This concludes Frant's explanation of the Lord Vessel. Is there an option in the dialogue where we're like, how does it work? No. Lord Vessel, how does it work? There should be. No, there isn't. If, if I tweet to Miyazaki asking him how the Lord Vessel works, will he reply? Or will he block me? No, he's... I don't imagine him being like... Hideki Kamiya levels of blocking people, but... <laughs> of who? Hideki Kamiya. Who's that? He made Bayonetta and Beautiful Joe and stuff, and he, he's just famous for blocking people on Twitter. If they ask him questions he doesn't want to answer, he just blocks them. Oh. Including, like, several games journalists who now can't, can't ask him anything. <laughs> okay, hang on, I'm looking at... Guinevere's dialogue. I bequeath the Lord Vessel to thee. Oh, this is interesting, actually, because... Um, like we were talking about before, when that Link the Fire is more like Inherit the Fire. Yeah. If you talk to Guinevere... I never knew you could do this. If you go back to an Orlando after you've done the Lord Vessel and talk to Guinevere, mm -hmm. she says... Succeed Lord Gwyn and inherit the fire. Yeah. Instead of Link the Everybody Fire. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Yeah. So she's, yeah, she, she specifically says inherit, not Link. So that's. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I lied. Everybody doesn't know that. I only know that because I was reading up dialogues uh, yeah. for today. Yeah. And I noticed that too. And I was yeah. like, ah, oh, interesting. Because mm. Loki told us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Game Detectives. <laughs> that should be another podcast. Yeah, Richie and Sin Game Detectives. <laughs> but he's literally just reading a wiki. <laughs> Where we tackle such important topics as the Lord Vessel. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you know what I just pictured? Was it you in a Sherlock Holmes hat? No, but I thought the Lord Vessel would make a nice hat if I wore it. It's quite big, though. <laughs> but it comes in different sizes. Like, there are mini ones, there are bigger ones. Would it allow you to walk between bonfires? <laughs> Does it? Yeah, that's what the Lord Vessel does in Dark Souls 1. Wait, wait, no, 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 you said it opens the door. Yeah, and it lets you walk between bonfires. Oh my god! How did you not know that? It just, it tells you. I don't always pay attention to the dialogues or the descriptions. But didn't, didn't you notice that you could suddenly walk between bonfires? I after forgot. you? Okay, that's, that's, that's alright. <laughs> um... Okay, okay, so the Lord Vessel helps you warp between bonfires. How does it do that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> right, I think the idea is it's it's the thing that's connecting all the bonfires together. Okay, that's good. Because all good. the bonfires are linked to the first flame, and the Lord Vessel is presumably somehow also linked to the first flame. Yeah. Um, but then in Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3, they just let you warp from the beginning. You don't need anything. Yeah, because you already linked it in Dark Souls 1. Yeah, but it's also still falling apart, so... You're still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the Lord Vessel, okay? I don't think you should try to figure out the Lord Vessel. But how will I sleep at night? Well, I mean, I've I've lasted for many years not, not knowing or caring about the Lord Vessel. <laughs> That's the difference between us, okay? Do you know? Do you know why they give you? Do you know why it lets you walk between bonfires? Why? Because if it didn't, it would be fucking like unplayable. <laughs> You'd have to walk everywhere. Yeah, that you have to walk everywhere for the first like two thirds of the game, and then in the last third of the game, because it becomes non-linear. Yeah. Yeah, they let you. They let you walk because otherwise you. Yeah. Also, there's several places where you literally can't get out if you don't if you couldn't warp. So they basically made a good game and turned it into a game for casuals. Well, no, because Demon Souls had warping in it as well. Hmm. Did Demon Souls have Lord vessels? No. Hmm. Is Sekiro going to have Lord Vessels? Yes. 
did we see any Lord Vessels in the Well, we did, we didn't not see a Lord Vessel, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> what about Bloodborne? Bloodborne has, has Blood- stuff that Bloodborne looks has like- warping from the start. No, 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 no. It has stuff that look like it could be a version of a Lord Vessel. What, a bowl? Yeah. The chalices are a bit like the Lord Vessel. Yeah, yes, exactly. And you, you put, okay, you put souls into the Lord Vessel and you put stuff into the chalices? Like the materials? Yeah, to- yes, yes. Oh, oh, we're getting somewhere. Okay. <laughs> this is starting to make sense. Is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's one thirty p.m. We're on topic one of three, which was supposed oh to be, which I, rem- I remember you distinctly saying, well, this will take about, like, we'll say 10 minutes. <laughs> now it's like, what is the Lord Vessel? Um, okay. I think. You know what? I think we'll need to invite Aegon, Jeremy, Loki, and Sana to discuss this Lord Vessel topic further, because I don't think we can figure it out on our own. I think it's just something that you burn stuff in. That's my that's my hot take. <laughs> if I... <laughs> Richard... If I messaged Aegon and Jeremy being like, hey guys, you want to come on? We have to talk about the Lord Vessel. What do you think they'd say? They'd probably agree because they're nice. <laughs> Would they agree thinking I was joking? And then they Look, a- Aegon has whole episodes of his show that is just him talking about particle effects. Like, I don't think. So this is like, this, is, this could be right up his alley. Yeah. Okay, okay, it's done. It's in. We're going to do a podcast on the Lord Vessel. Okay. It's going to happen. Okay. Okay. I'm very, I'm very happy about that. We will figure it out. Oh, no. <laughs> um, did I have any more questions for you? Um, well, I recall this being like a synopsis of the story of Dark Souls. Which started off as a synopsis of the story of Dark Souls until the intro. And has now been like an hour and a half of the Lord Vessel. (laughs) Okay, I guess that's it for this podcast then. Good podcast, Richard. Do do you want to do the outro? You're not releasing this, are you? Yes, we're releasing this. I'm, I'm I'm sure I can't be the only one. Who doesn't sleep at night because they don't know how the Lord Vessel works. And I think this will bring a lot of people a peace of mind. We didn't We didn't get an answer. No, it's like the beginning. And once we get Jeremy and Aegon <laughs> oh, on, we will figure it out. So do the outro, Richie. What episode was this? Um, this was episode two. Well, that was episode two, (laughs) and it was, it was an episode. Um, thank you for, who listened to this? I don't even want, I was here and I don't even want to listen to it. 
That was that was a synopsis of the intro of Dark Souls 1, which you could have seen by starting the game. So if you've ever played Dark Souls 1, you will already know what we just told you. And then Sin got distracted with the question of what the Lord Vessel was. Oh, and the code word is Lord Vessel for this episode. Good. <laughs> Thank you for watching, everyone. Bye, Richie. Bye. Enthusiast. Bye. <laughs> we'll see you next time, which for me will be in like five minutes because I'm not going anywhere today. <laughs> okay. You can stop recording. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> <laughs>